Good morning. Good morning. Our sermon today has to do with mustard seed faith and overcoming impossible uh, mountains. Uh, we preached a message in Matthew uh, 13 concerning the mustard seed parable, and uh, now we're in Matthew 17, and it has to do with a father who had a son that had some uh, mountains that were not being removed in the son's life, and the father was agonizing about it. And um, it's very clear in uh, Matthew 17. We'll be basing this sermon on Matthew 17 and other uh, Gospels uh, that are comparative uh, passages to this Gospel. But there's one thing that's crystal clear here in Matthew 17 and the other Gospels, and that is the uh, unbelief. The unbelief. We know the agonizing father had unbelief because he said to uh, the Lord Jesus, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We know uh, the apostles uh, had unbelief because when they said to the Lord Jesus, why couldn't we bring spiritual uh, deliverance uh, to this son? And the Lord Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And then he went on to talk about the mustard seed faith that could move mountains. We know that the uh, the scribes, uh, it's mentioned in Mark, I believe, Mark chapter 9, the, the scribes uh, were questioning with scorn and questioning with ridicule. Uh, they were unbelieving unbelievers. Uh, we know they had unbelief, and then there was a great crowd of people there. Uh, they were in the neutrality of unbelief, uh, uh, observing all the other unbelief. There, there was uh, the whole uh, atmosphere was one of unbelief, and so I'd like to uh, speak to this point about the atmosphere of unbelief and uh, how uh, this connects with impossible situations of mountains uh, being moved. You may recall, uh, going back to Matthew 13, uh, you don't have to turn there, but at, at the end of those uh, eight parables in Matthew 13, it says the Lord reloc relocated himself uh, back to um, his town, his hometown, and he began to teach in uh, Nazareth, and uh, while he was teaching, uh, it became very evident uh, the unbelief of uh, his hometown where he uh, grew up became very evident. And remember the Lord, uh, you might remember he said uh, in that context, he said, a prophet uh, is not without honor except in his own country. And in that uh situation, uh, it says in the scripture that the Lord Jesus could not do many miracles there, uh, many mighty workings there, uh, because of the unbelief, uh, the atmosphere of unbelief. And uh, you and I, 
uh, have to understand this uh, battle. There's a spiritual battle all around us of unbelief. There's also a spiritual battle inside of us of unbelief. And so uh, we need to address this uh, before the Lord and uh, understand the dynamics of it. In Mark chapter 8, there was a blind man. There there were many blind men that the Lord healed, but this particular blind man uh, that needed uh, healing from the Lord is a very unusual way, very unusual uh, miracle of how the Lord uh, healed the man of blindness. Uh, when he got to the, uh, the town where the man was, they brought the blind man to the Lord. And it tells us that uh, the first thing the Lord did was to lead the blind man uh, by the hand. I think it said he took him by the hand and he led him, the blind man, out of that town, out of that city. And then... Uh, he, um, he, I think it says that the Lord spit upon him and he laid his hands upon him. And uh, he said, well, what do you see? And the man said, I see men like trees walking. And so the Lord touched him again, uh, the second touch. And he said, what do you see now? And he said, I see clearly. And so you say, well, Pastor, uh, what's the point? Well, the point is, why did the Lord lead the man out of the town? And I'd like to remind you uh, in some of the earlier chapters of Matthew, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 11, the Lord pronounced woes upon certain cities that he had ministered in, and uh, one of those cities was Bethsaida. And he said, Woe unto you, uh, Bethsaida, because he said, If the miracles that have been done uh, in your city had been done in Tyre and Sidon, uh, they would have repented already and believed. And he said, it's going to be more tolerable. This is a very interesting statement as far as the judgment of cities at, uh, uh, in eternity, the judgment of what is taking place in cities. He says, it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment uh, than for you, the city of Bethsaida. And so what's interesting to me is uh, this blind man, uh, the city where he lived was Bethsaida. Uh, There was an atmosphere of unbelief, and the Lord led the man out of the town. I believe uh, the Lord led him out of of the town uh, because of the atmosphere of unbelief. Now, when when I was at the uh, Coca-Cola company uh, quite a number of years ago, when I first got saved, early days of Being a believer, I started working at a Coca-Cola company uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was witnessing, testifying as much as I could, uh, trying to help others uh, come to know Christ. I'd bring my Bible 
to work and when uh, we had break times many times i would spend a few minutes in god's word and it wasn't long before uh the people that worked there that were uh, working close beside me there they started calling me preacher man now, that was long before i had any idea i would be a preacher and uh one of the things they did was uh when we, when they were all together as a group uh a group of unbelief uh a bunch of uh, the ones a bunch of my co-workers uh in their group of unbelief they would uh, ridicule me and uh play jokes on me and uh try to humiliate me different things and um you know i remember um you know trying to respond with as much grace as I could and meekness as I could and so forth, humility uh, to those things. But what was interesting even more to me uh, was a number of those same men in the atmosphere of unbelief publicly, uh, whenever that atmosphere of unbelief uh, uh, in the group was not around, uh, they would come to me privately. And uh, they began to say things like, uh, you know, I used to try to live uh, the way you're trying to live. And I got away from it. And uh, they were asking me to help them uh, as far as spiritual things. Uh, when they were away from the group of unbelief. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, others were talking about, uh, you know, I've tried uh to do this uh spiritual pilgrimage but it didn't work for me could you help me or they'd share with me they had a problem uh that needed prayer but uh, my point is uh we need wisdom and discernment as to uh the how mountains can be moved and uh how to uh, we need to ask god to give us prayer discernment of how to pray when there are mountains of unbelief uh, that are all around us and how God can work uh, in, and show su uh, supernaturally he can overcome impossibilities uh, even when there are mountains of unbelief. Uh, another situation I thought about in connection with this point is a retreat I had uh, years ago with a group of men in uh, New Jersey and i had asked the men uh, before we had this men's retreat if they would take time to memorize some verses in isaiah 58 and also uh as led by god to have some time of fasting now the reason why uh, i'm sharing this illustration is going back to matthew 17 and the unbelief in overcoming <coughs> overcoming the atmosphere of unbelief so that God can work supernaturally uh, the Lord uh, said uh, to his um, apostles he said uh, this kind goes forth by prayer and fasting and in those days of that retreat I had asked the men would they consider memorizing the, the verses in Isaiah 58, because Isaiah 58 is uh, mostly about fasting and the blessings of 
the power of God being released through fasting and the supernatural uh, wonders that God will work uh, through prayer and fasting. But it's got to be done with the right motive, the right attitude, uh, like you know the Lord warned about the, the scribes and Pharisees fasting with the wrong motive. And that's why it says in Isaiah 58, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? And he goes into how to do it properly. So when we got to the uh, men's retreat, we had a speaker, we had a location, uh, we had an atmosphere of you know what a retreat would normally be. Uh, but it was not the location where we met. It was not the atmosphere of that location. It was not the speaker that allowed uh, such uh, powerful things to take place in that men's retreat. Uh, God began to work at that men's retreat, and there was confession of sin. Uh, there was uh, weeping and bowing before the Lord. And uh, there's one after another, after one got through, another would get up and confess, and then there'd be more prayer and uh, more bowing before the Lord and crying out to God to do a work in us and uh, to, to help us to see what we need to see in our life so that God's uh, work supernaturally could be accomplished. And it went into the uh, wee hours of the night. It went way past midnight into the early part of the morning for two nights. And so you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say the uh, the reason why I believe that took place at that retreat is because uh, the atmosphere of these men in their prayer closet before God with prayer and fasting uh, was uh, when we did come together, that was overriding any atmosphere of unbelief. It was kind of like the uh, Bible says, the preparations of the heart uh, belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Uh, we, you know, God wants us to prepare our heart before Him, and then He'll fill us with the Holy Spirit so what needs to come out of our mouth can come out. And really on that retreat, uh, it was the men that ministered one to another in such powerful ways, pointing us to uh, the need for confession of sin and repentance and humbling ourselves. It wasn't so much the speaker that was there uh, at that particular time. It was the men sharing with each other. So that's a little bit of uh, admonition about the atmosphere of unbelief. Now I'd like us to look for a few moments at the conditions uh, that were uh, the mountain of the conditions that was in this son's life. And I'd like you to think about whatever uh, impossible situations you have. Maybe it's an impossible type of a decision you have. It may be an impossible type of family matter you have. It may be an impossible type of financial situation you have. It may be an impossible type of a sickness situation uh, there's lots of uh, impossible situations we have, especially for family members that are having uh, spiritual battles, spiritual struggles that may not be saved or have gotten away from the Lord. And I think there's a lot of application here as to this mustard seed faith 
and God's moving of mountains. And so in Matthew 17 and the other Gospels, I just want to list the conditions of this particular son that needed to have deliverance so we can see how intense it was. Uh, I believe God gives us in his word, uh, in the situations of what the Lord dealt with, he gives us the extremity of situations. So he wants us to know he can handle any situation that we have. Now, let me just list these for you. I jotted down the, uh, the conditions of the son. It's from all the Gospels, not just Matthew 17. Uh, the son is, uh, in Matthew, he's declared to be a lunatic. Uh, uh, another word that is used for, for lunatic in other translations is epileptic. The King James says he was sore vexed. Uh, other uh, translations uh, said he was suffering terribly. It also says that oftentimes the, the spirit would uh, cause the son to fall into water and fall into the fire. And then in Mark, uh, it describes what was taking place with this son, and it says it it names the spirit as a dumb spirit, talking about the deafness of the son, and it says the dumb spirit would take him, would tear him, he would foam and gnash with his teeth when the, the spirit would seize him and control him. And it says uh, when, the, when, the, when the son was speaking to the Lord Jesus, describing about the falling into the water and the falling into the fire that was caused by the uh, power of these uh, unclean spirits, it says that uh, the father said that they were trying to destroy him. They were trying to uh, destroy him. It also talks about, the King James used the words that his condition, it, was, it says he pineth away. Uh, that's how the father described his son, he pineth away. Another word for that condition is emaciated. Uh, emaciated condition, to be weakened and thinned in uh, the ultimate uh, condition of the, the weakness and the thinness. I mean, it, this son... Uh, as far as the extremity of what was going on, uh, was far-reaching as to the conditions. Now, when the Lord Jesus uh, delivered the uh, Son, uh, by the way, another condition here I think is very important is, it doesn't just say he was a son. It says it was the Father's only Son which, uh, again, it, it helps us to see the uh, agon agony of this impossible situation. Now, when the Lord began to bring the deliverance uh, to the Son, not only did the Lord address the Spirit as a dumb spirit, the Lord addressed the Spirit as a deaf, a deaf spirit. And so here we talk, talk about uh, the ability to... Uh, not be able to speak, and the ability to not be able to hear. So this son had multiple conditions of impossibilities of needing deliverance. And if our God can move such a mountain in this son's life, I believe he can move 
any mountain that we have in our life. Now, when I get to my next point, I'm going to have some further things to say about typically how we think God moves mountains and the mountains that need to be moved internally and uh, the higher purposes that God has for moving mountains. We have to have the big, bigger perspective of, the, of, of all the mountain moving that needs to take place. But uh, nothing is impossible with God. You've heard the song. We've sung the song. Hearken to the voice of God to thee. Is there anything too hard for him? Nothing is impossible with God. Now, there's three things I like to say about these conditions. And uh, the first point about these conditions is the helplessness of man. The helplessness of man. As I was uh, looking over this this morning and thinking about how helpless we are, uh, I got a phone call from a man, and uh, he basically said uh, he was calling to help me with my sermon. And uh, I said, well, I'm getting ready to, uh, to preach it, and I'm getting ready to uh, record it. And I said, you know, what, what have you got to share? And uh, he said, well, I was reading this uh, article, and it was talking about in this article that the foundational place to start in anybody getting the help they need from God is to recognize how helpless they are before God. And I said, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The very moment I was looking at the point, the man called me and emphasized the point that God, that God was showing him. It's just kind of like what happened on that retreat when God was working through the men on the retreat and not only through the speaker. And so you say, well, what are you trying to say? Well, I'd like to uh, acknowledge our helplessness. I think it's very important for us in prayer before God to acknowledge, to confess our helplessness. Now, as you well know, this agonizing father uh, verbally said to the Lord Jesus Christ with authenticity and sincerity and honesty, confessing what was really going on in his heart. I believe that the Father is speaking for all of us. I believe that all of us, no matter what point in our journey or what impossibility mountain or how far we've come, I believe we could all say the same words every time we come to God in prayer about whatever it is we're praying about that's an impossible situation we have to say, God, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Enable me by faith to believe. Now, you know, the basic verse we all know in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith not of yourself. 
lest we would boast. So we need to come to God and, and ask God to help our unbelief. We need to come to God and ask and, and be honest with him and sincere with him that, yes, we believe, but we need him to supernaturally enable us in faith as we pray and as we trust him. And, he, and even as we claim scriptures and stand upon scriptures, which, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we need God to enable us when we stand upon these scriptures not to uh, take them out of context and not to be on a name it, claim it basis of mountain removing faith that may not be exactly what that scripture says. That's why I want to go into some of these other points here in a minute. We need spiritual discernment in the prayer of faith, and we need to acknowledge that we need God to give it to us. Now, you know, God talks about if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and confess their sin. Uh, he talks about uh, that being the first place to start as far as the healing of the land and as far as the uh, supernatural works that needs to take place uh, in the land and in the families and in the church situations. And so I believe it's important for us to confess our sin, but it, it especially also is important for us to confess our unbelief. You know, we look back at Israel and we say, how could they, after all that God had done, after all that God had done, after all that God had done, and they kept having unbelief and kept having unbelief and kept having unbelief. Well, I, beloved, I find it's the same way in my life. I have to keep coming back to God and, and confessing to God, after, after all you've done, I still find myself with unbelief. I need your grace. I need your spirit. I need your supernatural enabling to uh, look at life situations the way you look at them and to see the mountains the way you see them and to respond to them in the way you would have me to respond to them so that you can do the supernatural works that you want to do of the mountains being removed not only the mountains being removed as far as the change of the circumstance, but the uh, internal mountains that need to be addressed and the higher purpose situations that need to be understood. And that leads me to my next point, and that is the higher issues and the internal issues of mustard seed faith and the removing of mountains. Now, in uh, Luke chapter 17, that's another place where it talks about if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed. And in that particular uh, scripture in Luke 17, he talks about uh, not moving the mountain, but moving the sycamine tree. So, uh, there's something there to study out. I haven't had time to pursue that. Why did he change it from the mountain to the tree in uh, Luke 17? And that particular tree, I haven't had time to investigate that. But 
what I did, what did jump off the page and what did catch my attention. And I really want to share this uh, from my heart as far as what are the greatest mountains that need to be moved. And it has to do with relational things. I'm talking about relationships to people more than it has to do with material, earthly things. Now, let me just remind you, as far as material, earthly things and those mountains, uh, God says, as believers, we are soldiers in a spiritual war. And he says, if you're going to war, a warfare and the battle is one in your marriage and one in your family and one in your uh, situation with your job. He says, no man that warreth as a believer in this spiritual warfare. It's in Second Timothy. I believe it's in Second Timothy chapter 2. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Are there mountains as far as the circumstances of our life that involve material, earthly things? Yes, yes, yes. Does God want to help us with those situations? Yes. But I think in the priority of our focus and in the center point of our focus, we need to be concerned not so much about the material things, mountains. We need to be concerned about the relational mountains. Now, let me explain what I mean based on Luke 17. By the way, other scriptures say, a man, Jesus said, a man's life, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesses. The reason why he said that is because a man uh, was upset about his brother not sharing the inheritance properly. He was focused on material, earthly things, thought his brother had a problem, and he didn't realize the man that came to the Lord, he didn't realize that he had a problem of covetousness. He was too focused on earthly things. And the Lord said in that contest, uh, context, Beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesses. Uh, just think about uh, Job's faith. You talk, and talk about mountains that need to be removed. Uh, he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even when the things were taken away. Uh, he was blessing the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so there's some internal mountains, internal mountains that have the higher priority that we need to be praying about that need to be moved within us. So in Luke 17, here's what grabbed my attention uh, in a big time way. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Let's suppose uh, there's a person that you work with, and seven times in the last year, the person has offended you, and uh, you have a hard time dealing with that person, a hard time relating to that person, a hard time getting along with that person, 
and it's happened seven times in the same year and it's been hard it's been very difficult to go to work with the right attitude with the right spirit with the right disposition to have Christ likeness well the Lord ratchets it up he talks about you talking about a mountain you talk about an impossible mountain that only God can deal with in Luke 17 the Lord says if somebody offends you seven times in the same day you should forgive him if he comes back and he asks you uh, to, to forgive him you should forgive him and furthermore we have to deal with our attitude even if he doesn't come back and ask forgiveness but my point is seven times in one year is big enough of a challenge in a mountain but seven times in one day so this is an internal matter a relational mountain and only God can help us and then the Lord talked about in that when he said those words the, the Apostle said increase our faith how could anybody keep forgiving a person seven times in one day how could anybody have the ability to forgive a person sincerely and authentically in that way and so the, the apostle said increase our faith and that's when the lord jesus started talking about if you have faith as a mustard seed you can say to the sycamine tree be cast into the sea and it can be done and so it's a relational uh mountain all of us have relational mountains of bitterness of anger of unforgiveness uh, and and god can supernaturally remove the mountains of bitterness and anger and so forth so that's that's my first point now over in uh, acts uh chapter 20 i'm talking about internal mountains and i'm talking about uh what needs to be done inside of us not the mountains outside of us but what needs to be done inside of us over in acts 20 uh paul was speaking to the elders of the church of ephesus and he says now when i leave uh, when i leave here i know the wolves are going to come in and of course the wolves he's talking about are the wolves in sheep's clothing they're going to come in it, the bible tells us that the devil transforms himself this is why uh, we need to be spiritually discerning of uh, what the real mountains are and how only god in our we're helpless to see it and we're helpless to do anything about it if God doesn't show it to us and give a spiritual discernment about it because the devil transforms himself into an angel of light so the wolves try to come in talking about the local church <coughs> the wolves try to come in in sheep's clothing and so Here's what the uh, Paul, uh, Paul said. He said, if you're going to be able to have spiritual discernment about those wolves, here's what he said. 
take, you're talking about the spiritual leadership, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Get before God yourself, your own spiritual condition. What is it in your life that you need to get right with God so that you can see clearly with spiritual discernment to know how to deal with what's outside of you, whether it's in the church or in your family or in your business or in the community. Take heed to yourself. First priority, he says, take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God that the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer of. What he's saying is, in order for you to see clearly, in order for you to understand clearly, and in order for God to supernaturally, powerfully work so that spiritual protection can take place, you're going to have to get with God in the prayer closet so that in your spirit, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you will have the spiritual discernment of the Holy Spirit to know how to respond to the wolves in sheep's clothing. But first of all, it's an internal Look at whatever internal mountains are inside of you. Now, I want to connect this with the kingdom of God. I've been talking about the, uh, the power of God's kingdom, the kingdom power, the kingdom authority of our Lord Jesus Christ and his supernatural working in those Matthew 13 parables. But let me remind you again, I'm reminding myself again, what the Lord said, it ties in with this internal soul searching before God, if we're going to see mountains removed, or if we're going to see the church pro protected from the mountains of the wolves of the world, whatever the mountains are, we've got to be concerned about what's going on inside of us. Uh, and we've got to be concerned of it in terms of righteousness, holiness, and purity. Now, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he could have said, and the power of God. But he didn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the power of God. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. On one occasion... The Lord had uh, sent out 70 of his disciples with the uh, uh, authority uh, to cast out demons, which relates to the Matthew 17, where the apostles are not able to cast out this demon. And it tells us in Luke chapter 10 that the uh, disciples returned rejoicing, and they said to the Lord, they were rejoicing because the demons were subject to them in the Lord's name. And immediately the Lord said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It's astounding that he came out with that statement at that time in response to what these men were reporting. I believe what the Lord was pointing out there is that 
the fall of Lucifer had to do with pride. And I think the Lord was pointing out that if we don't deal with issues of self and sin in our prayer closet with God as the number one priority of the mountain that needs to be moved, then we're not going to see these mountains outwardly continue to be removed because the bigger mountains are the mountains of self and sin internally. Because the Lord went on to say uh, to those men, He said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. He said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you know you've got a sin problem. You know you've got a self problem. You know the only answer to that sin problem and that self problem is my atonement, my redemption, my cross work. You know that the only way that sin and self can be properly dealt with is the power of the cross dying to self. And if we don't die to self, we will not be able to know how to handle these outward mountains that we know God can move and deal with. But first of all, God's got to deal with the mountains internally. And we've got to take heed to ourselves. That's why if you go to Isaiah 58 and you look at the things that God does when, when there's prayer and fasting, one of the major things God does is address the righteousness uh, he said he talks about when you sincerely confess your sin through prayer and fasting and con and con and sincerely deal with the issues of self in your life through prayer and fasting he says your righteousness will break forth like the morning he talks about the uh holiness and the righteousness of our character being able to be what it is and listen that's very important when it comes to spiritual warfare and the powers of darkness, there were sons of Shiva that decided that they would mechanically call upon people that had demons the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that Paul did. And uh, they, they were going to cast out demons by calling the name of Christ over these people uh, like Paul did. They didn't have the internal holiness. They didn't have the internal righteousness. And the demon said, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but who are you? And if you go back and read that, it talks about how the powers of darkness overcame those men. They fled away. If we're going to wage a spiritual warfare in this life, to overcome the powers of darkness, which the Bible clearly tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness. We're talking about spiritual powers of darkness. And if we're going to overcome these spiritual powers of darkness, we've got to be concerned about righteousness, holiness, dying to self, confessing sin, repenting of sin, running to the cross, understanding the power of the cross, 
what it means to be broken before God in the helplessness of who we are and the total sufficiency of who he is, and that it's only through Christ that we can do what needs to be done. We are not sufficient of ourselves. Now, let me go further with this, uh, just uh, a couple more illustrations. Here was Simeon, and Simeon, uh, somehow he knew that he would not depart in his death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And if you go back and read what it tells us about him before that, when that statement's made, there was something that was said about him before that statement was made. How could he have such spiritual discernment? How could he have such spiritual understanding about his own death? Well, if you go back and read it, it talks about the righteousness that was sincerely in his life. And if we're going to have spiritual discernment about death, if we're going to have spiritual discernment about the powers of darkness, if we're going to have spiritual discernment about our decisions, if we're going to have to have, if we're going to have spiritual discernments about our family and shepherding, whether it's the elders and deacons shepherding the church or a father shepherding his family, it's going to require truth in the inward parts. It's going to require righteousness in the inward part of our soul and our being. Remember, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, in Mark chapter 1, it talks about uh, the Lord uh, in the synagogue there. There was a man that had an unclean spirit. And when he came uh, to that synagogue, the Lord was teaching truth. And the demon responded by, let us alone. The demons uh, were being tormented by the truth of the authority of the Lord's life and teaching. And then they said, are you come to destroy us? Not only were they tormented by the truth of his authority that he was teaching, they recognized the finality of his authority over their destiny. They said, are you come to destroy us? But then thirdly, this is all in Mark chapter 1. This is, this is the most important point related to the point I'm making now. They said, we know who you are. The, the demon said, we know who you are. This is why they were tormented by his authority. This is why they recognized his final authority. Because they said, you are the Holy One. That's what I'm trying to say about us as believers. The more we enter into the righteousness of Christ, the more we enter into the holiness of of his life, the more we have the supernatural, spiritual, Holy Spirit enabling to be able to have spiritual discernment and spiritual power 
when we pray or when we respond or when we deal with the wolves of the world or when we deal with people that are hard to get along with, if we've been in our prayer closet asking God to move in our soul so that inwardly and outwardly we would be holy and righteous and godly, that's the key. That's the center point key of mountains being moved in the authority of the holiness of Christ's life, the righteousness of Christ's life, and the purity of Christ's life. And I believe that's what it says in Second Peter. This, this is my final point. It talks about virtue and how important it is First of all, to have faith, you know, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be regenerated, to be saved. And then it talks about add to your faith virtue. Virtue has to do with the holiness of your life. Virtue has to do with the righteousness of your life. Holiness has to do with the purity of your life inside and outside. And then it lists all the other characteristics that will flow out of your life of, of the wonder and the beauty of the power of God that will be released in your life in that sequence in Second Peter 1. And it says, if these things be in you and abound, you will not be fruitless in your relationship to Jesus Christ.